Uh, we'll pray and then I'll, I'll get into it. Um, but thank you for uh, thank you for coming this morning. <clears throat> uh, dear Lord, uh, as we as we come to uh, uh, this Sunday school again to to read from your Word, Lord, I'd pray that uh, that what would be said today would be edifying for everyone, and that uh, that it would be taken in the the light and spirit that uh, that you would have uh, revealed before us. Um, we've got some things to discuss this morning that. Um, that would have been difficult not only uh, back in, in the times that this was written, but for today's application as well, uh, but also joyous ones, Lord. So please let us uh, heed your warning where we need to and celebrate in your glory where we can. Uh, thank you for bringing us all uh, here safely this morning. And we pray, Lord, that you would, uh, that you would bless uh, not just the Sunday school, but the, uh, the church service proper afterwards. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we're obviously still in Jude. <laughs> So I got almost to the end of verse 19. I'll finish that one off, but I feel, um, I, I felt at the time that I'd been cut short, but I think um, the Lord in, in his ultimate wisdom actually left the one bit outstanding that, that links into the rest of the verses and kind of finishes off uh, the book of Jude, which is lovely. So, um, so I'll finish off uh, verse 19, and then um, I'm hoping we'll get through uh, 20 to 22, and the track record's been an average of two to three verses every session, so... That sounds really weird to say out loud, given that I thought this was only going to be one to two sessions overall. But, um, but I'm hoping we will get up to, to, up to and including verse 22 today. But we've just got to uh, finish off 19 uh, for the moment. So <clears throat> where we last left off... Whoop. Working? Ah, beautiful. Thank you. Uh, where we last left off, um, we were just finishing off uh, under the prophecies and, and God's divine judgment from 14 to 19, uh, we were still in the apostolic prophecies. Uh, and then again, today we'll be getting through um, um, the exhortations component. So this is a defense against these interlopers and what we're supposed to be doing. Uh, there's two verses there that are on personal exhortations. And then there is uh, two on societal applications. So those are my titles there, but really uh, verse 20 and 21 are what we are to do internally. And verse 22 to 23 are what we're supposed to do externally um, um, as saved individuals. So finishing off 19. So we just covered quickly um, the concept. Uh, I'll read verse 19 again, actually. Um, I might step back to 18 just so that uh, the, the sentence makes sense. Um, but we're obviously talking about, or it's a reminder of what the apostles had told these individuals, these group of saved individuals, and please keep in mind throughout what we're talking today, uh, this epistle is written to saved individuals. It's not there to convert anyone. It's a message specifically for those that are saved, and that becomes very clear in the next verses if it hasn't been clear already. <clears throat> um, so 19, it says, how, uh, where he's reminding you how they uh, told you, they, the apostles, told you that there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. And then 19, where we're looking at now, these be they who separate themselves central, not having the spirit. So we covered off on, on separate, uh, this concept of factionalism. Um, it, wasn't, it wasn't a division of groups by um, societal means, by, by race or wealth or, or class or, or any other sort of attribute. Uh, this was a logical distinction. This, was, uh, this, this wasn't the haves and haves nots. This was a, my interpretation of the scripture is X and yours is Y. And it's causing factionalism through there. And I touched upon how 
you know, um, um, uh, the, the devil being incredibly clever in the way that he approaches these things, he, he in today's society, has turned the Bible itself into a, uh, into a tool for factionalism. Uh, is that really what this says here, or surely society's moved on, this, is, this doesn't apply anymore? There's a verse here specifically, um, whether it was is the intention of, of God through Jude the entire, uh, the, the entire time, and I, I, I assume it is, um, but knowing, knowing where the world is now, uh, there's something that would, even amongst here, I don't know if it will be controversial amongst this group, but it causes controversy and a whole heap of arguments uh, in relation to some of the verses coming up, even though they are the exhortations and the blessings and the assurances that we're meant to have, there is still argument to be had amongst saved people within that. Um, <clears throat> so that, that sense of factionalism was what we're talking about there. So we didn't get to this uh, concept of, of central, but I'll work through that. So it's not central in the terms that you would uh, sort of expect it nowadays, which is sort of in, the, in e- e- either, a, either a sexual or a physical manner. Uh, this, is a, this is a bestial nature. So it's, it's obviously a derivative of that, but it, it encompasses a wide range of, of concepts there. It's not just a, a physical sense of it. It's this bestial nature. And in the concept here, we're talking about worldly-minded so again, no need to flip to it. I've got the references there, but I'll, I'll read them out for everyone. Uh, but uh, worldly minded here, we've got uh, an applicable verse that sort of re-emphasizes this. Against, again, um, um, you know, looking at scripture through scripture. We've got 1 Corinthians 2.14. Um, and I'll, I'll step back. 14 is the applicable verse for this, but 13 I want to read out because it, it, it re-emphasizes what's coming up later in Jude. So 13 it says, um, which, spa- uh, which these... Sorry, pardon me, I'm getting tongue-tied. Which things also we spake, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. So 13 is is really talking about these saved individuals. It's the Holy Ghost that is teaching us and that we are to compare spiritual things to spiritual things. The reason I bring that up is because the Holy Ghost becomes a very um, important part in what we're going to look at in in Jude 19, uh, 20. 21 and 22. Um, but we're looking at here, so 13, making a reference to the Holy Ghost being our teacher, and then 14 is the applicable verse for this, saying, but the natural man, so an individual that's not walking with God, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness unto him, neither can be, they be known to him, because they are spiritually discerned. So it's a concept of having the Holy Spirit be our guide through God's word for us to discern what those meanings are. The unsaved individuals could read the Bible through and through, but unless there's a prompting from God, there's a response to that call. So they're called and, and, and there's a response to that. Reading this through would be reading through a book. Now, that's not to say that someone can't get something from this and be saved through reading the Bible, but it's not going to have the same meaning until you're after, after you're saved. And anyone that has, has lived a life unsaved through a majority of their life or into adulthood and come to know Christ later on, I think would resonate that with that, myself included. Um, it was about 10 years ago that I was saved. I wasn't saved as a child. And, and I was, you know, through Sunday schools and, and, and portions of my upbringing introduced to the Word of God. It had no meaning for me at that point. Um, elements might have resonated with me, but it meant not what it does to me today. Now it is the Word of God. This is, this is what I can stand on and what we should be standing on and what Jude wants us to stand on and what God wants us to stand on. So um, that is this concept of being worldly minded here. Um, and he re-emphasizes that. And what I, what I want to talk about here specifically in relation to, to what's coming up is that there is this concept and this understanding that we should have that once the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit is indwelling within us, 
he is able to help us discern what we need to do. We will, he is our teacher through this. Um, and that is, that is something that is, is very obvious here. And that is why Jude then finishes this sentence, not just calling them central, saying that they, they, they're following after this, this worldly mindedness, they're doing it in their own fashion, having not the spirit. <clears throat> so this is really, it's the final condemnation of these individuals that are there. They denied God all the way back in verse 4. So these are the certain men that have crept in unaware, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness and denying our Lord God. So they've already rejected him. They don't have the Holy Spirit when we accept Christ. And we looked at that when we were looking at verse 2 with mercy, peace and love. You receive Christ's mercy. It's already done for you. It's already paid. You need to accept that. And once you've accepted it, there's a peace that supports that and follows that, that that, that commune that you have with the Lord through the Holy Spirit and through Jesus' sacrifice. And then you can revel in that love. And that love that we receive, that we talk about in verse 20 and 21 coming up, then when, we were, when I was describing the fact that we have a responsibility to society in general and our other, our other brethren, our other unsaved uh, 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 individuals that we know, that's us pushing that love out as well. Um, and uh, you may or may not, if you, were, if you were here at the very beginning, in, in the second session I did, there was a very specific order to those. You receive that mercy, you obtain a peace through that, and then you are able to send that love out. They can't happen in the other order. You can't have love for your fellow brethren unless you've got that peace within you and you can't have that peace without that salvation or that mercy that was delivered to us. Um, and there's a reason why I want to come back to that as well because Jude with his triplets repeats it again in what's coming up and he, and he does something quite phenomenal with it. Um, but this is, is really the final nail in the coffin. He's specifically saying that these individuals have not the spirit and then he's, he's, he moves on from that point. Uh, but one of the references that I wanted to read out was from Romans chapter 8, verse 9 to 13. Um, again, um, just being an applicable reference to look at here. <clears throat> So this says, uh, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. So we're not living for ourselves. We are not worldly minded. We're not sensual. We're living in the spirit. <clears throat> if so, be that, that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be with you, or sorry, if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Again, a concept of the spirit indwelling us and that saving and that rising up in, in, in the end days. So um, an applicable verse as a contrast, I guess, um, of, of what's happening here. If we are in the flesh, we die. If we're in the spirit, we live. So, um, sorry, I did have... Oh, there you go. Flesh equals death, spirit equals life, if that needs to be summarised any further. Um, again, everyone would have known what Jude was talking about here, but I, I always like to sort of uh, reiterate it with other verses that support that. <clears throat> The reason that we're talking the spirit here is that it, it, it does come back, as I said, and I just want everyone to be, be comfortable with that concept. And I'm, I'm hoping everyone here that's saved is understanding of that um, and, and happy to sort of talk to anyone afterwards if there's a challenge in accepting that or, or if there's questions to be had. 
um, I'm more than happy to. And if you don't want to talk to me, there's obviously uh, many men within the church or women within the church if, uh, uh, that you may want to speak to in relation to that. Um, and that feeds in with this, the, the, the verses of this external uh, concept as well of what we're to be promoting our, our, our faith. All right, so we've spoken about the rule of three. This is the, the, the last of the three beloveds that we've got within, um, within this epistle. I don't need to go over it any further as to the definitions, etc. But as, as I've said each time, they, they really accentuate a, a, almost a page break or a new chapter within the epistle. There aren't chapters. This would have just been written in its free form. But this is almost his dot points as he goes through. Beloved's in verse 3 before he talks about what he's, he's going on through. 17 punctuates the, uh, the apostolic prophecies. And now here he's calling us, but ye beloved, again, he's, it's, it's, if there was an exclamation mark within it, it would be. He's, he's pricking up our ears and he's talking specifically to us. And this beloved, this, this, this root word being agape, a brotherly love, a Christian love, it is a love for individuals that have come to that common salvation. He is speaking specifically to saved individuals and that needs to be very clear as we move through these passages. This is not a, an assurance and a comfort to the world in general, even though this, this epistle is written in a general context. The audience is specific, it's saved individuals, and that needs to be really understood before, before we move through each of these. So um, when he's calling beloved at each of these points, he is reminding saved individuals, those that have the Holy Spirit or should, should be um, are behaving in a manner that is becoming of, of someone that has the Holy Spirit within them, that is who he's talking to. Um, so I might have gone through that in a little bit uh, more detail than I usually would for some of these things, but I just want to make it clear because it will make all the references we've got coming up make a lot more sense um, or easier to digest. <clears throat> so in the very beginning, we talked about contending for the faith. And then I said, uh, as we move through it, there will be practical applications for this. And this is where we start. So I'll start in verse 20 and I'll, I'll read down to the end of 22. Um, Actually, I'll read down to the end of 23 because that really uh, fits in one. So 20 to 23 is really one area, but we'll, uh, we'll only get to 22 today. So he said, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. So... 20 and 21 are something that we are to do internally. For ourselves, it is a personal application. 20 to 23 is an external application, and, and we'll break that down into to each of its elements. <clears throat> now, what we've got here is, is this concept of uh, in three, and if you'd sort of underlined it at the beginning, um, uh, uh, in three towards the end, we've got the purpose of this is to exhort you, saved individuals, to earnestly contend for the faith. It's taken him the entire letter to, to sort of underline what not to do for us to get to what we need to be doing. So contending for the faith is this concept of building up yourselves on your most holy faith. We are to build up our understanding and, uh, 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 I guess, uh, steadfastness in our faith. That faith being a construct of God's word. And we looked at that as a breakdown of uh, in verse 3, this concept of faith being the not necessarily the man-made doctrines that support it, but an understanding of what the Bible is for, what the commandments are, what it is and the way we are to be living. That is our, our faith. And overarching all of that, a faith in our salvation. Without that, the, the rest of it falls apart. That's the foundation. A faith in Christ is where we need to be. And then we build up our knowledge 
of, of what the Lord wants for us by understanding our Bible, by attending church, by having fellowship, by having communion, all of these things build upon that. But it's the salvation in the Lord that we need to, to have as our base. And from there we can move up. And having the Holy Spirit within us is what is going to help us build up in that faith. And we can see that in the, in the coming verses. But what we've got here, the, the actual concept of <coughs> building, um, again, it's, it's to build upon. Um, and that might sound very, very similar. The difference being, I guess, in, in most terms where we talk about something being built, the assumption is that one day it will be finished. The actual uh, 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 participle that he uses here, which is a present active with a future sense, basically means that it's happening today and it is ongoing. There is no end to it. Um, that building is not going to be completed. Um, and I know we, we sort of throw it out sometimes at the church that we're all under construction and this has that sort of concept to it. But this is for us. We are to build ourselves up in our faith. It's not something anyone else does on our behalf. You can't passively attend church every Sunday and assume that that is going to be enough. Um, you can't stand steadfast in your faith. You can't defend the Bible against individuals that would look to pull it down. Because those individuals that are looking to put it, pull it down, as we've seen, they've come from walks of life that have been completely embedded and understand their Bible. These were the Israelites in the wilderness that walked with God. These were, these were, these were Cain, who, 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 who knew who God was, who would have been educated in that. There was Balaam, who had an understanding of who the Lord was. There was, there was um, Korah. Many examples that were through there. We're a positive example in Michael, but all of the exa- other examples, to stand steadfast against these individuals, someone like Korah, who would have been well-versed with what the Lord wanted for his people, the Israelites who would have seen all of these miracles before them and still grumbled and murmured against the Lord, for us to be able to stand up against that, you can't do that passively. So this is a, a, an active uh, participle with a future sense. It is happening now. We are to be building ourselves up and we are to continue building ourselves up until the Lord comes. So that needs to be, uh, to, to be emphasised there. And all of the terms that he uses here follow a very similar construct. <clears throat> now faith, this is the same faith. This is a conviction of truth and a reliance on the salvation, this exact word that's used here in your most holy faith is the exact same faith that is used in verse 3 as we are to earnestly contend for the faith. It is the same word, it's not a different root word, but there is a very big difference in the way that it's applied. If we compare it, we are talking about a faith which was once delivered unto the saints in verse 3. Here, this is your most holy faith. It is gone from an abstract principle of faith outside of you to your faith, your personal walk with Christ. Now, you could take that away and say that this letter then is specific to every individual, but it's on two levels. It is building up yourselves. That's a plural. Not building up yourself on your most holy faith, building up yourselves. He's speaking to a congregation as he's addressing them, and it is through the congregation that you can build yourself up. There is an edification to be made amongst the brethren. There is an edification to be made through the pastors and the deacons and through the, through the leadership of the church. There is a, a, a building yourselves up in going out and having a coffee with someone and talking about what you've learned, what you've understood, sharing your understanding of, of, of your, um, uh, sorry, sharing your understanding of the truth as it be. So it is, it is general in the extent that he's saying yourselves, but then he narrows it down again to the individual with the very next word on your most holy faith. So he is talking to a congregation, 
but it is also a personal responsibility. You are not to rely on others to do it for you. It is yours. So you participate in a group to perform it and you will learn from each other, but you can't be passive in it. You are to contribute as well. So it's building, it is ongoing, it is happening now and it is to be ongoing. Yourselves, it is a group activity, as it were, on your most holy faith, not a concept uh, that we've got in verse 3, contend for the faith that was once delivered for, unto the saints, once delivered unto those that are saved, building yourself on your most holy faith. It is specific to you, and when I say you, every saved individual that's here today and every saved individual that has ever been. Um, <clears throat> so it's a group being addressed, but it's an individual salvation, and there's no salvation by association. You don't get a ticket to heaven by attending church with those that are saved. It is a personal salvation, and that needs to be understood by you before you can participate in everything else and share that amongst everyone else. So bottom line, our faith needs to be built. It is a metaphor in the context of this, but we are to build ourselves up in that faith. Now the most holy that's used here is obviously uh, put another word in there. It was for the faith. Now this is for uh, praying, uh, sorry, uh, uh, on your most holy faith. Uh, that is something that is pure and that is, uh, that is sacred. <clears throat> so, okay, we're to build ourselves up. Now, we've all heard the line, the best defense is a good offense. So we're defending against these individuals. How do, about, how do we go about doing it? Are we waiting for these individuals to corrupt us, which would be a defensive measure, or do we go on the offensive and do something beforehand? And the answer is we go on the offensive. <clears throat> but it doesn't go the direction that you would think it would. So, sorry, let me turn the page. So the question becomes... How do we build up our most holy faith? We've got another rule of three, and as I've added up there, I think this is the best one in the epistle. We are to pray in the Holy Ghost. So praying in the Holy Ghost, that is what we are to do. Praying here is... um, uh, uh, Sorry, my apologies. My notes are out of order. Sorry, yes, we must pray. So here... We've got praying. To make prayer or to worship, it is, it is the obvious uh, term here, so there's no contention there. Um, but what we need to do is then compare that, I guess, to what we've got at the very end of 19, which is why I think um, uh, we weren't able to finish it last week. The individuals that we were talking about have not the Spirit. So if we're to pray in the Spirit, that is something that these other individuals can't do. And each one of these that we'll see today is mutually exclusive to the behaviours that we've got from 5 to 19. You cannot perform the triplet that we've got here and do any of the things that we've got the interlopers doing. They are mutually exclusive. So it is a, a bookend to it. If, it's not just don't do what these people did, it's do this instead. If you're doing this, you won't fall into any of these traps. It's don't even bother. You've spent so much time learning everything that you need to avoid, but the best way to do it is to go on the offensive, do something different, and these are the things we're to do. Now, I will get into something that is somewhat contentious, but I, I prayed on it and I'm hoping that it doesn't cause any issues, but I need to explain it because I have read many things that have even attempted to lead me astray, um, but it's only, again, through a knowledge, rudimentary though it might be, of, of, of what the Lord would have. I, I felt it necessary to bring this up. <clears throat> a lot of people have used praying in the Holy Ghost as a concept or a, or, or a derivative or a metaphor or a usage, turn of phrase, to refer to speaking in tongues. Now, do I believe that's the case in our application as we see it today? No. I look at 1 Corinthians 14.22. I'm going to read it out. 
it can be homework for anybody that wants to do it. This is what we need to do. We need to be contending on, our, uh, on ourselves as individuals. Um, from my perspective, and, 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 and what I'll say here is that I do believe that that did happen for a time after the Lord left and, and ascended to heaven. There was a period of time that the Holy Spirit was then um, uh, brought down to the, the apostles and those that believed, and there were spiritual gifts that were disseminated amongst those individuals as a proof of what the Lord had promised. I don't believe they exist today. This church doesn't either. It's in our constitution. There are copies of that available. I'm happy to provide it. If there's, again, questions, concerned, or that, that doesn't sit right with you, let's have a conversation about it after the, after the Sunday school, but let's have a conversation about it, um, whether it be with me or, or, or somebody else that, uh, that, that, that you feel would be able to have that conversation with you. <clears throat> I will, however, then address... Okay, so if we're not speaking in tongues today... When this was written, were we talking about speaking in tongues? Okay, so there is that question to be raised as well, and then that denotes a grey area. And you can see how these things become a slippery slope. I'm not saying that it's, you know, we're talking about is tarot reading okay within the church? We're talking tongues, which was a gift that was available at one point in time. Are we talking about praying in the Holy Ghost here? Are we talking about praying in tongues now, whether it be in a church or, or to us as individuals? So two things that I want to call out, and it's it's... Again, it gets uh, uh, nerdy in relation to, to the wording of it, but it's necessary to do these things, and I am testing Scripture with Scripture, so you don't need to take it on my behalf, but do your homework, look into it yourself. Um, it's, it's worth doing, especially in relation to these sorts of things. So uh, if we have a look at 1 Corinthians 14, 14 to 15, uh, and again, I'll read it out for everyone. I'll put my tab on the top. Um, <clears throat> for if I pray, this is Paul talking here, for if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit, Spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is it then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. Now, Paul in this verse is specifically talking about praying in tongues, talking in tongues. That is what this is a reference to. He is talking about the apostolic gifts that were were provided by the Holy Spirit at that point in time, and he is specifically talking about praying in tongues. Now, I'll flip to Ephesians, then I'll explain what the difference is between them. So Ephesians 6.18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching uh, watching there unto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So it is a very subtle difference between the two of them. And it's a little bit small on screen here, but it says, I will pray in the Spirit in 1 Corinthians and in Ephesians, praying always with all prayer in the Spirit. Now, the term that's used in Jude, if we flip back to that one, is praying in the Holy Ghost. The first reference here, with the Spirit, is a reference to praying or speaking in tongues. In Ephesians, it is not. And it is also supported by the fact that here we are talking about an endless prayer, a non-ceasing prayer. Even within the times of speaking in tongues, it was something that happened in specific moments. It was not a continual thing that people spoke in in, uh, in, in tongues. So when we're talking about a difference between with and in, it may seem very subtle, but also looking in Ephesians at praying always with all prayer, this concept of endless, ceaseless prayer, even within those times, it would not be considered to be done in tongues. You would still have a life you needed to leave. You would still pray out loud with other individuals. It would not always be in tongues. So when we're looking in 1 Corinthians, we are talking about praying with the Spirit, And in Ephesians, we're praying in the Spirit, with being a concept of tongues, in the Spirit being a concept of praying 
to God, the Father, using, using Christ's salvation for us as the, 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 the gateway or the catalyst for being indwelled with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit helping us to not only divine, uh, d- d- divine God's word through the Bible, but allow us that prayer and that communion with the Lord. So what we've got here is something that, that can be difficult for some. I, I didn't want to spend too much time on it, but I, I prayed about it and, and I was sort of led to be able to talk about this. So I'm happy to talk about it afterwards, but I'm hoping that that gives enough support for the fact that some people, um, I, don't, I won't say it's those people that Drew's talking about, but some people will use this as a reference to say that we are to be praying in tongues still today. Um, I don't believe that it was even the case that that's what Jude was talking about in his day and definitely not today, but I'm happy to, happy to take it offline afterwards. So the second of the triplets, we've got keeping ourselves in the love of God and this is the concept of God the Father. <clears throat> now the term uh, in, uh, in the, uh, sorry, this would be love of God, the, the en agape theos, which is not a Christian love for God, but God's love for us. We are to stay within keep ourselves in God's love. Now, that's not to say that we lose our salvation if we fall out of that, but we can definitely be on God's bad side if we're doing the wrong things. That's what this is the concept of of being. Now, the Lord actually spoke about this himself in uh, in John 15, 9, 10. Um, And I'll read that out. Sorry, 15... Yes, sorry, John chapter 15, verse 9 to 10, uh, which reads, As the Father hath loved me... So have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So we're to keep ourselves within God's love. Now, Christ is specifically talking about the fact that he stayed inside God the Father's love by keeping his commandments, and he wants us to stay in his love, as in Christ's love. But the term that's used here, keeping ourselves in the love of God, it is a reference to God the Father here. We are to stay within the confines of what we are to do. And we see that throughout Jude. There is an obedience that we are to have here. So in the, in the, in the first one, we must pray. We have the Holy Spirit to be able to pray. <clears throat> now, the keeping that we've got here in verse 1, uh, and you might remember again all the way back to the beginning of, uh, of the lessons that we did on this, there were six references to being kept or preserved. Three times we used for salvation, three times we were used for damnation. And if we compare two of the ones that we've got for salvation, in verse 1 we had and being preserved in Christ Jesus. Uh, that, was a, that was a passive sense, uh, as in invoking a blessing. You know, I want you to be kept in, in the Lord's. Here the tense is an active tense, similar to what we've got in praying. It is, it, it, these are imperative ver- verbs, each of these. They're imperative verbs, which means that they are things that we need to be doing, we should be doing now, and they should not stop, similar to the building. So this is in an active tense. We must be doing something to maintain it or to contend or fight for it. And what are we to do? We are to have obedience to God's commandment. That's our responsibility. We have a responsibility here. It's, one, it's easy enough to say, well, I'm saved now. I can just go off the, off the deep end, do what I want. That's not what we're to do. We have a personal responsibility, once we've been saved, to still be obedient to God's commands. We want to be within his love. Um, And I think each of us that have been saved that may have wandered off that path from time to time time, have experienced what it's like to be outside of that. It's not to say that we've lost salvation, but we need prompting sometimes. And sometimes that can be a painful prompting when we're not listening, as a father would prompt uh, a a child. So then we move to three. And we are to be looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. This concept of looking for, 
is to await with confidence. And what I want to say here is there's an there is an expectation within the, the words that are used here, specifically within the, the verb that's used here in this looking, that there is an expectation of fulfilment. And we've seen that throughout the, the, the letter. It is always a coming of the Lord. So we will wait with confidence. And what I wanted to emphasize here is waiting is not enough. It needs to be accompanied with hope. There is, it's easy enough to put your feet up and go, I'll, I'll rest in the Lord, that's fine. There needs to be a hope in that salvation and an understanding of what that means. So we are to be praying, we are to be keeping, we are to be looking. That is the triplet within this. <clears throat> Again, they're all imperative verbs. These are the behaviours that we should be exhibiting. From, five, from verse 5 to verse 19, all we got were examples of behaviours that we could identify these individuals for. It's been made simple. We're to build ourselves up in the faith and there are three things we should be doing. That's not to say that throw away the Bible, there's nothing else to do, but these are the cliff notes. All right? We're to be building ourselves up and how do we do that? We pray, we keep ourselves in God's love, we are obedient and we look for the mercy of the Lord. We have hope in, in that salvation and we await it with an expectation. So that's what we're to be doing. We're to be relying on the Lord, keeping ourselves and, and praying in the Holy Ghost. Now, that's one element of the triplets within this. He's embedded another triplet within it. Um, and, and the concept of, of Trinitarian theology or, or Trinitarianism, which is an understanding of the Godhead being divided into three. Not divided, sorry, is the wrong word. But uh, the, the Godhead being three, um, um, a concept of three, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Nothing in the New Testament explicitly comes up with this concept. It is something that we have because we have the entirety of the Bible in our hands and it is something that we are, we are able to understand through the Bible. Um, but it doesn't specifically come out. However, uh, understanding that, Jude comes incredibly close to basically outlining this for us and, and spelling it out for us. <clears throat> we've, we've got those three. We've got the Holy Ghost, we've got the Father and we've got the Lord Jesus Christ outlined in that. But then I'll go one step further and compare that to verse 2. And again, I'll take you back to, to the explanation we had there. There was a triplet within verse 2. Mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Mercy, peace and love. And when I spoke about that originally, I said that mercy was what we received first. We received mercy from the Lord, from, from Jesus. Through We get salvation through him. That mercy is already there. It's ours to pick up. right? It's been paid for. We just need to collect it. it sounds simple, but it's, it's probably the biggest hurdle we've all experienced in our life. That is the first thing we have to do, but we receive mercy from the Lord first and foremost through nothing that we do. Then we have that peace. We can commune with God, but we have that inner peace and that understanding of what our life stands for and what we are to do with it. Then <clears throat> we have love, and I was talking about how we can have that love not only for ourselves, a forgiveness for ourselves, and, and not necessarily forgiveness, but an understanding of ourselves, but we can promote that love, that love of Christ to others, because we can stand on it. You can't promote the love of Christ unless you know the love of Christ. So the order was very specific in two. Mercy, peace and love. <clears throat> they've changed order, but they've moved down. Mercy's moved from the top and is now at the bottom. And again, this is my understanding of it. Test it through your understanding of it. But I've spent a fair bit of time in Jude and I, I definitely see this, but it is my personal application here and my personal understanding. The peace that we spoke about was that ability to pray through the Holy Ghost. An indwelling of the Lord provides us that peace. Keeping ourselves in the love of God. Well, love's specifically stated there and we receive that. And the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
So with the exception of the word peace, love and mercy are repeated in this like bookends. They happen at the beginning, mercy, peace and love, and he's repeating it again here. He doesn't specifically say peace, but when we were looking at the concept behind peace and what that represented, it was a communion with God. It was an understanding. It was, a, it was being able to walk with the Lord that provided us that peace. So I believe that there's very much a repetition of it, at least in, um, uh, in concept and not specifically stated. So I just wanted to emphasize that. So even if you were to take that away, it does not eliminate the Trinitarian triplet that is put in there, uh, either knowingly or unknowingly, of the Godhead in basically uh, a, a one, it's two verses, but one concept of what we are to do, build ourselves up in our most holy faith. How do we do it? Through all aspects of God. It is ours to do. We are to pray, to keep, to look, but it is through each element of God that we are to perform that. And I think that's a very powerful thing that he's managed to do in just uh, in, in two simple verses, uh, the complexity and depth behind that. There's obviously a lot to go into. I really didn't want to uh, uh, sort of pull this down with multiple verses because I just kind of wanted this to resonate with everyone as to what Jude was talking about here. It is powerful enough to stand on its own without having to reinforce it time and time again. That said, if you go back through some of the other lessons we've done, there is so much that alludes to this as it's coming But this is the assurance that we've got. So we have an assurance in the Lord of our salvation. Then we are to build ourselves up. And we can do that by these active imperative verbs. What are we to do? Pray, keep and look. But we do all of them through God. None of this is on our own. And we evidence that looking at others that tried to do it on their own. They failed miserably. Time and time again throughout it. The only one who did it right was verse 9, Michael, who actually understood his place and did what he needed to do. But from 15, uh, sorry, from 5 to 19, everyone else with the exception of 9, all did it in their own, all failed. We had to do it in God and, and, and the three elements of God or the three aspects of God. So um, I know that's a, a bit to take in, but uh, I want to just, we've got a couple of minutes and I definitely know we can do it, um, in verse 22. <clears throat> it's a shorter one. So, so verse 20, 21, like I said, that is our personal application. Now we're moving on to an external application. What are we to do? Uh, I've said societal applications. You could substitute with that with any word. I'm just trying to have a concept of people at large or individuals at large. What are we to do here? So the first component of this is uh, in, in 21, and we won't do 23, but 22, and if some have compassion making a difference. Now, this particular verse, again, is very contentious. Uh, The translation is very difficult, um, and I'll explain a little bit of that. But um, there are multiple translations of this, but the core concept should always be the same, and it should resonate with everything we've looked at previously. So the term compassion isn't contentious. It is to show mercy on. So when we're talking compassion here, it's not this, this concept of, I'll throw my arms around you and have compassion. I understand where you're coming from. It's to show mercy on. Yes, we understand where they're coming from. These individuals that we're talking about, um, and we'll talk about who they could be in a, in a moment, but we are to look at individuals that are either staggering or, or, or not falling away from their, uh, their, their faith. Oh, sorry, I just realised I've done the same Strong's numbers for both. My apologies. Um, ignore that. I'll correct that one next time. Um, so uh, the, the compassion that we're talking about here um, is, is to have mercy on. It is a... Uh, again, it's an active thing that we're to be doing. This is, this is an active principle that we're doing here. It is a compassion that we're to show individuals that have either stepped off God's path or are walking away from it. It is not an admonishment. 
you read through 5 to 19 and it's a continual, they've, these people have walked away and it's been to their own detriment and it's been to their destruction. But in every single circumstance, it has never been a destruction brought about by man. It's been a destruction brought about by God or a punishment brought about by God. What are we to do going on the offensive? Do we reject these individuals? Do we push them out of our church? Do we despise them? Do we have compassion on them? Jude flips it into the reverse. Have compassion on these individuals. Now, this is where it gets contentious in its definition. I've only given a couple of examples here. But the term difference here can be... Uh, a definition of separate this this is uh, the reason why it's contentious is the actual root word is kind of lost to time it's not really a word that's used nowadays and there are a lot of different definitions for it so it is sorry it's not it is still used today but it's it's understanding of its usage like language does through time it changes so there are many definitions for this word you could have it as separate thoroughly to oppose to judge right but it is also to discern to hesitate to doubt to stagger or to waver there are 19 words in the, in the New Testament that use this as a root word and almost all of them are different, right? It is a difficult concept to grasp and again, I think back to the way the Jews constructed this, maybe this was again to cause conversation amongst the brethren for them to talk about this letter, for them to try and come to an understanding. <clears throat> now, I will give my context for it um, in, in James 1.6 because it is uh, the one that I've got highlighted here in red the underlying word that's done here is, is to doubt. Um, and we've got a wavering here. So James 1.6 says, But let him ask in faith, so uh, praying in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Now we had all of those descriptive verses back in Jude for, for, for chaotic waves, for those that are being blown about by the wind and, and storms, etc. This is James, this is Jude's brother here. Um, writing this epistle. Um, this concept of wavering here is to doubt. Don't doubt in your faith or you'll be, you'll be blown about. And that's what Jude's spoken about this entire time. Those that have been led astray have been to their own destruction. But he's saying, have mercy on these individuals that doubt. Now, <clears throat> what I wanted to highlight here is that this verse, even amongst Bibles that are considered to be be better Bibles. Now, we obviously use um, uh, the King James Version within our church. That's not to say that looking at translations in other Bibles is going to take you away from God's Word. Sometimes it can just emphasize or reinforce um, the concepts that are there. So the King James, as we've got in front of us, is, and of some have compassion making a difference. The New King James would be, and on on some have compassion making a distinction. The NASB says, and have mercy on some who are doubting. And the NIV be merciful to those who doubt. Now, the English translations that we've got on the top two are still applicable, but the overall concept and the general consensus through men that are men and women that are much smarter than me on this is that this passage would read, have compassion or have mercy on those who are doubting. Those that are wavering in their faith, that have uh, a, a, a um, not necessarily a lack of understanding, but even these individuals that are potentially being led astray by others. That is not to say that this is the only definition of this. The other concepts of, of having to separate thoroughly or to oppose or to judge, it's saying have mercy on them, but oppose them in their understanding. Call to them and, and challenge them on their opinions. It is still just as applicable. It's not to say that the other definitions don't fit. It's not to say that there's an error in the King James Version. None of that. Words change over time and we are translating from an ancient Greek text into, well, what was at the time modern day English? Even the King James itself, in, 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 in terms of English, 
is very different today to what we've got in the terms that it was written. So again, this, this causes a lot of contention. There are books written specifically on this verse um, alone. But what we are talking about here, and, and, and my belief in this, and, and comparing that to what James has written and, and the other uh, concepts of doubt, using the root word that sits in here, um, my understanding and, 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 and my, my prayerful thought on this is that this is a reference to being merciful, as, as, you know, as simple as the terminology is here compared to the King James, be merciful or have compassion on those who are doubting. Help to to emphasise that um, uh, you know sorry to reinforce or to educate or to to assist them with their understanding. <clears throat> so it could be because of a poor foundation of understanding, and this is this is the last bit that I want to cover. Um, so it, we're basically you know paraphrasing here. We're to extend mercy to those that are wavering in their faith. Now, why are they wavering? That's the other thing. It could be because of a poor foundation or a poor understanding. The influence of the interlopers that we've seen time and time again here. My opinion here is that it doesn't matter. It's showing mercy to individuals regardless of where they're at. It's not mocking them or deriding them because their, their faith is smaller than yours, which should never be happening in Christian circles. It is not a comparison of. It is not a, well, I'm more educated in this. You, you should be up to my level. You've been saved longer. None of that. Have compassion of these individuals, and if you find that there's something that you can have a conversation about or that needs to have a conversation or you need to discuss in, in a brotherly and sisterly love context than have that conversation. <clears throat> it doesn't matter. Show mercy. The question that I wanted to leave on today, and, and again, it can be homework for anyone that wants to do it, in the context of what we've read in Jude, in the context of your knowledge and understanding of the Bible and God's word, <clears throat> do we think that this definition could include the interlopers themselves? Those that are leading individuals away. Yes? Mm-hmm. In other words, it's not just believers, but it's non-believers that we are to speak to. Yes, yes, 100%. So, yes, well, sorry, that is a good point. We, we are talking to believers and non-believers here. We're having compassion, making it for those who doubt. It could be someone that doubts entirely. They've never come to the saving knowledge of Christ. Thank you for clarifying that. that sort of, it's been in my head, but it didn't come out. Um, yes, those that, that are doubting the word of the entirety of it. I doubt all of it. It could be those that are saved that are struggling with components of it. It's for all. But the question that I wanted to leave on, and, and no need to answer this one, but to, 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 to dwell on it over the week until we come back next week, do we think that this can include the interlopers we're talking about? Because God's divine judgment through this is the only judgment that's been poured on them. Never throughout from 5 to 19 is it man's judgment that's been poured out on them. Are we to have mercy and compassion for the interlopers that are actively taking people away? They're doing it deliberately, we know that through everything that we've done. They are turning, these are ungodly men turning the grace of God into lasciviousness and they have denied the Lord God. Are we to include those in that category? And I'll end on that and verse 23 I'm hoping will uh, we'll bring that into light. But um, I'll pray and then we'll, we'll wrap everything up. <clears throat> uh, dear Lord, thank you for, uh, for letting us get through that. Um, some difficult concepts, some, some contentious concepts. Um, I pray, Lord, that what you would have for us is to, uh, to dwell on this, to, to prove your word uh, against your word. And I'm, I pray, Lord, that this would, uh, this would maybe spark conversations amongst the group, not for the sake of, of this Sunday school or for Jude in general, but that is what you would have us do. That is what you want us to do. Um, I pray, Lord, that we would be building ourselves up as individuals to be able to stand on your word 
as our foundation, that we would have a, a knowledge of you, um, a, a, a knowledge of you through the Holy Ghost that is delivered to us after our salvation. And I pray, Lord, that, uh, that we would be able to, to look and keep and pray uh, in, in every aspect of you and that we would be able to edify one another as you would have us edify each other. And, uh, and I pray, Lord, that uh, in the coming week as we think about these things, that, uh, that it would not be a stumbling block to anyone, but it would actually uh, be something that can, that can strengthen our resolve and strengthen our faith, Lord. So, uh, so thanks once again for being able to bring everyone here. Um, and I pray for the, the service coming up, that again it would be something edifying and that, uh, that each of us would be able to take something away from it. And, uh, and I thank you again for another wonderful day that we can spend in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.